So I've been thinking recently, I heard of this on the radio, a, uh, a song. What's everyone's problem with Billy Joel? <laughs> like, I, 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 every time I hear one of his songs, maybe except that we didn't start the fire one, but like, that's kind of like, you know, you just kind of like, not a big deal there, right? That's like a late, kind of like the last major song I think that he had, right? But all of the early stuff, I mean, I guess you could call it like schlocky, yeah. but... Like, it's pretty good. Like, you hear it on the radio. You're like, I know this song. It's good stuff. I mean, it's, it's almost like schlocky compared to what? Right? <laughs> like, like, what is our baseline for, like, good music? Like, it's definitely not like Beethoven. <laughs> like, no one gives a fuck about that anymore. No. Right? Like, no. And, and, like, schlocky compared to, like, I don't know, whatever a post Imagine alone dragons. is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like. It's just like, I mean, it seems pretty good. And yet, like, I don't, I'm not sure that there's that many people who would be like, oh, yeah, Billy Joel, fantastic. Like, it seems like a pretty easy target to, like, dislike. This, this is a conversation we've had driving around in our car listening to uh, the radio here. I, I, I don't know if it's because we don't have, like, you know, KUT to listen to all the time, but we listen to a lot more pop radio here. And they're uh-huh. heavy on Billy Joel and, and Huey Lewis. Which uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. my youngest asked, uh, "Is this hip hop?" And I had to explain to him what hip hop was. <laughs> uh, for the record, Huey Lewis, not hip hop. <laughs> um, I feel which, like maybe there, there's like some alternate Alan Moore comic book world where like Huey Lewis turns into like a hip hop legend. Like, <laughs> Which is funny because, like, uh, I, I read this article about Huey Lewis uh, losing his hearing, or yeah, he's got like bad, really bad tinnitus in Rolling Stone, and I felt really bad for him. But then I was, I mean, and you know, I was like, well, and he's he's like this figure who's you know other musicians really like him and everything, but similar, right? It's kind of like kind of schlocky, uh, just kind of a a fun kind of music, but uh, yeah, you know, I it's. It's not what I'm going to listen to day to day, but uh, you know, there's nothing. But has Billy Joel been especially called out? Have I missed something? Is he? I I don't remember Billy Joel. I don't know being any any better or worse standing than most. uh, I don't know pop musicians that have aged. I guess I I guess I just haven't heard any people in any anyone recently like praise Billy Joel, right? (laughs) Well, actually, one of my children asked the other day, "When did he die?" And he he's not dead. He's still oh, alive. Not that, yeah, uh. that seems okay. Well, maybe that seems bad. For if, yeah. I, I think uh, um, uh, Phil Phil Collins falls in that boat too, right? Um, Absolutely. Where you have, but but yes. the thing about Phil Collins is you have like the old school people who are like, back in his Genesis days, that was the shit, right? And they're like, you know, they try to make yeah. him much cooler as somebody who's like sold out, right? But uh, I don't know, you know, some of that old Phil Collins that, that kind of rocks too, right? So, so I think I think what I'm thinking of now is we need a supergroup composed of Huey of of Huey Lewis, definitely. He's always in it, right? Yes. And then and then you got Billy Joel and Phil Collins. Yeah. Now you, you got drums, you got piano, Huey Lewis on the vocals. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, so we need some guitar. Now I don't think Sting plays guitar, so we're not going to throw he's him a bassist. in there. Yeah. No. So so I think Sting might be on like one song. He comes out and does that, right? Sure. But we need a guitar. I don't know who the guitar is, but uh, there, there's Van Eddie Van Halen. Okay, he's dead. okay, that's yeah. Okay, is he's he dead? Yeah, he died last year. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
should have been paying closer attention. And you know, you've got uh, how about the guitarist from In Loving Color? Probably wrong genre. Too much. It is not Bernard Reed. Area. Probably not uh, the same. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Tom Moore. No, probably. Tom Morello. Probably yeah. not a good. Uh, Tom Morello. Yeah, probably not a good mix either. You know. They're, I'm sure. Oh, ooh, Hollow Notes. Yeah, mm, they they can that would be, be good. Hollow Notes. Yeah, uh, on, another on underappreciated. Vocals. You know, uh, sort of thing. Maybe we throw in some Howard Jones. Um, you know, th- there's just there's there's a whole bunch of those folks who you're like, were they really that bad? You know, it's it's a guilty pleasure kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you threw Ice T in there, you'd really have a fantastic act. Today's show is sponsored by Strong Yam. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, uh, I think we should carve out some time to go over uh, reInvent predictions. So I want us to try to save some. But before we get to that, I don't know what's happened. But uh, I read a lot about Web3 recently, right? And so I want to work out my understanding of what's going on here, which is to say, I mean, I barely understand like how a blockchain works, right? My understanding, let let me, let me just, I'm going to rely on you two to tell me that my, my metaphor is correct, right? I feel like, I feel like a blockchain is almost like a notary. Now what a notary does is you go to a notary and a notary only involves two parties, sort of remotely three. Let me stretch it to say a notary involves three parties. So one, you have yourself, right? You yeah. go to a notary, and all that a notary does, and I've gone to a notary many times. I don't know what, the, well, I went to a notary here in Amsterdam, which is a totally different thing. It's a weird experience compared to an American notary. But an American notary, I think they pay some money to the county, Yep. And they probably sign something and they have a book and then they buy they buy one of those awesome stamps. This is a a feat of mechanical engineering, that stamp that you push down on. And normally the stamp is facing upward for the ink pad. But when you push down on it, somehow the stamp swivels away and it goes down on the paper and stamps the ink on there, which I think is just like whoever invented that. I'm sure they were inventing it and they were like. I'm going to change the world. Like that that was like that was a very nice invention there. Anyways, so the notary has a notebook, they've paid the county, and they have this magic stamp. And all they do is you sign something in front of a notary, they look at your driver's license or other identification, and they sign that you said you were Michael, 
you showed an ID that said you were Michael, and you signed something. There's no connection between any of those three things I just said. Uh, and then they stamp something, and they sign it. And then yeah. they file that with the county. And that's what a notary does. Yes. Now, the goal of a notary is to authenticate that someone said that they were Michael. And they presented some ID, uh, some ID that also said they were Michael. Right? And that's yeah. it. Right? So... And the third party is someone who looks at the who they don't even really like go and look at the notary notebook. They just look at a stamp that is on a document that you signed that claims to be a stamp from a notary. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what blockchain is, right? Yeah. So so sometimes you'll see a decentralized ledger and, you know, that's that's what it is. It's someone is saying that, yes, uh, this happened and I will vouch for it. And, right. Okay. Yeah. Good. And, and so it's just a record of transactions um, that are validated by other folks. And um, and the, the, the key to that system, the key to the notary system is that if there was a legal dispute, one of the first things you would do is track down the notary and make sure they were actually a notary right? That they'd actually been validated to be as such by the county. And then I guess you would, if you had used a fake ID, would you sue the notary and the notary would have to like pay the money that was owed? I don't know. Well, I so, mean, if you're talking about, I mean, it, this is the part where it probably the analogy breaks down a little bit. It's, you know, the whole idea of the blockchain, right? Decentralized trust. And then essentially once that transaction has been, you know, if you will, you know, mind right officially, you know, put on the the ledger. It's it's right, right, now right. this now it's the record. So there is no argument anymore. Like it's like it's happened. We all so it's verified, it. right? Yeah, like, it's verified. Like, so at that point, everyone can look back. There. Yeah, if someone had a question of like when it happened and who, what happened, they could look back on it. But there's no disputing it. Like you can't undo so, it. So esen essentially, you have a notary that is cannot be uh, there. There can be no fraud with right. the notary right like right. it can be verified right it would just be like when you went i guess in the in the notary sense it would just be going back to the notary and saying please validate that michael cote signed this on this date and the notary could just look in the book say yes i see it here i see i signed off on it i stamped it i did whatever and that's it at that point that's the notary is you know right, done. Right, right. so so, so, so the, the notary in this place is immutable right it's like the, the, that's the, what happened the analogy, and, and because it's with, like, computers and uh, math, it's even stronger this, than this. But the analogy is, like, you can also get the state to give you—it's not apostate because that's someone who's, like, been exiled from a church. But, but the, like, the state has its own type of notary thing, which is, like, even more intense. Like, it's verified not just by a notary, but by the actual state. And you get—it's it's like a big deal. It's almost like a wax seal. Right, like another level things. of verification, right? Exactly. But to, exactly. But to your original, I mean, maybe, you know, because I think some of the details maybe kind of just take away from the, the higher-level discussion, which I think, you know, I think when I think of Web3, right, or the way it's being described, it's more—it is just the idea of where, of that movement trying to embrace that notion of decentralized everything. Right to move away from right, right, right. the gatekeepers, you know, let's call them all the various gatekeepers to something that's decentralized, more open, and in theory, 
and in theory, right, um, more based around the individual and what they're trying to do and giving the individual more ownership and control over what's happening. So right, I think right. in a broad brush, that's what all of the things in the big Web3 pile are. At least that's the trend I think they're playing to. All right. We'll, we'll dig into that more because, you know me, I'll just like wangle around some like lengthy sort of building up of like uh, ideas and things. I, I forget what that form of logic is where A equals B and B equals C and all that kind of nonsense. But like I, I, I read a lot about Web3, what Web3 is. And like it's like the worst type of marketing, at least that I've read, which is it tells you like it tells you the great benefits and things that will be achieved. But it doesn't tell you what mechanism exists to achieve these things that we have always wanted, right? Like, it, it doesn't really explain, like, why it's going to work this time. Well, I would actually, you know, I would maybe slightly change that and say, I feel like Web3 explains a lot of the uh, problems of the ongoing model that we have, right? I think oh, it's yeah, very sure. clear about yeah, yeah. that we have gatekeepers, this is wrong, people don't have as much control. And therefore, just broadly speaking, if we had more openness, more freedom, more better things would happen. I, and I think, you know, at a very high level, right, it's kind of edging up a little on the always up. It's always touching the libertarian vibe a little bit. Right. It's like getting close to that. And so, like, at a very you know high level, I feel like people can relate to that and be like they probably can think of some gatekeeping company they're frustrated with or they don't like. And there's like kind of an initial like, oh, that sounds interesting. Now, I think the part where you said and, uh, you know, and I don't think you meant it exactly this way. Like they've, they've sort of proposing lots of solutions. I don't know if they're really solutions. I think they're just sort of like these like kind of ideas just baking. And, and some of them seem like, you know, we'll just take Bitcoin seems to have gathered a lot of momentum. And then others seem very, you know, just seem very like, I don't know, we'll just call it very uh, uh, early on in the very embryonic phase of and may or yeah. may not break out. And, and I don't, you know, and then this kind of gets back to, uh, we always have to go back to then the motivations of all the people pushing Web three, right? Then I think he's, now you start to get into like the, like okay, everyone that's pushing this openness, are they, you know, what are their motivations? Is it really just to be open, or is it another opportunity to capture a lot of value? So I don't know. At least to me, that's sort of how I view the big category. Right, because because it seems like the the okay, so let's the the benefits of this Web three stuff is that you no longer, well, I mean, we can just condense it. You no longer are dependent on Facebook to be the place where you go experience the internet. Right. Like that seems to be like the main thing, right? Is or that Google. Like, I think you say the same thing. I think people say the same thing, like Google for ads, you know, Facebook for social media. Um, yeah. And just, you can kind of go on and on, right? You know, LinkedIn for social, uh, professional so social networking. Just this idea that like each one of these, major platforms is, has some type of gatekeeper that we use to like, you know, put things out or whether it's like, you know, publishing, um, you know, any like written format on medium or written on LinkedIn or something like, you know, you're turning over the ownership or posting your photos. That's another common one. It's like, Hey, you know, those photos are your photos, right? Like you should always have the copyright to those, right? And that's sort of where the NFT thing comes from. Don't put your photos on, you know, for us, it would be Flickr. Remember, we all went through that disaster and now it's Instagram or whatever, right? Don't don't put them there. You know, they're your things. And so that's, I think, you know, the constant refrain that you hear. But I, I think the problem is there's this um, intentional uh, mishmashing of the idea of like a decentralized web with all this like 
Bitcoin and NFTs and like, for some reason, you know, those things are required for Web3. I mean, if we go back and start talking about things like Tor and BitTorrent and, you know, some of these, you know, personal web things, you know, or Filecoin even, you know, there are ways to distribute data that goes around a lot of these gatekeepers. I don't see why we need to bring, you know, uh, graphics of, of smoking gorillas into the, the, the conversation. Um, you know, that's not keeping, you know, that's not why I'm avoiding Facebook, right? It's, <laughs> I mean, do they somehow like mechanize this and make it more accessible? I don't think so. I think it's just, I think there's a whole bunch of shysters that are glomming on to the idea of people being frustrated with the current state of, of, you know, silos on the internet mm. and just grifting well, dollars off the edges. And I think the two things that are kind of intertwined there, I think are uh, decentralization and, and uh, speculation, right? Like, and I think they're not really related, but I think cause they're always, but it's really happening simultaneously, right? It's like, as we kind of talked about, like, okay, we can all understand that some benefits to decentralization would make sense. But at the same time, that then opens up this massive opportunity for speculation of like what will be valuable. So whether it's right. the board apes, whether it's NFTs, whether it's Bitcoin. And, and that's the part I think that's like, it's both as for me, it's both a source of like FOMO as well as just sort of like confusion. It's like, like, sure. I wish I had uh, invested in the Shiba coin or whatever. Right. Like I, but I only say that because I just, it's just like saying like, I wish I invested in like Amazon when it was mm -hmm. pre IPO, right? It's like I just yes, of course I want the wealth, but like I want the wealth. But like, um, I also think it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't. Yeah, exactly. But I don't like invest in it and be like, oh, now I have Shiba coin or the I'm same all, thing. Yeah, the relentless. Uh, you know, everyone just keeps saying like, well, NFTs are like baseball cards and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, I just, I just never yeah, like. It's like I never you know what, will base, buy off baseball on that. cards are worthless right now, aren't they? Yeah, but I just, but the whole idea that like even a baseball card, like I get it, like people can look at a baseball card and like have some like moment, you know, tangible moment. And then I know Chris Dixon would be like, that's old school. That's not what people think about. They, people spend money on status all the time. But I'm like, ah, I don't know. This just seems, it always comes back to like, at best, it's just termed speculation. I'm like, I just don't think looking at a JPEG that anyone can look like that, like anyone gets the same, you know, fuzzy feeling that they get on like a, uh, Babe Ruth uh, rookie card or whatever, right? You know, I just it just isn't. I, I just don't believe the human brain is the same. But I know Chris Dixon would tell me we're totally wrong and we don't get it. And I'm always like, yeah. And then I'm back to my FOMO. I'm like, oh, I yeah. Wish I, I wish I had that like, money. I wish I had that money. <laughs> I wish I had that now, money. <laughs> now, now both of you are making me realize that when I was reading over, trying to find out, like you know, I go to Google, which I guess is going to be replaced by Bitcoin or something, and I'm like, you know. <laughs> There's two searches I had, which is like, well, three. I searched for Wiki Web three because I figure Wikipedia must explain it, right? And if you go read the Wikipedia entry, it doesn't really explain it. It more explains like the what would you call it? Like the news around Web three, like how it came about, what people say about it, like its history, how it relates to one and two, but it doesn't really explain like how it works. Right. And then I searched for uh, what is Web3, very similar results. Right. And then I searched for how does Web3 work? Now, that was kind of interesting because it was like apparently there's some like JavaScript library called Web3.js. And I was like, uh, 
I'll read a little bit of that. But that was basically just like you can talk to some Ethereum API, which I barely know what that means, right? But right. what both of you have made me realize is that like I never once read what I would be doing with Web3. <laughs> like I sit down and I open up my Web3 browser and now what? Right? Well, okay. Like, like, like what it is like, like what do I, what do I do? I think there's a couple of things. One, I think the reason, you know, the, the explanation you're searching for, I think it just frankly doesn't exist. It's not like, it's not a coherent thing yet, right? It's just a, a, I think it's a set of ideas. But I think if you were to say, what is the closest thing that manifests would be Ethereum or ETH, right? With the idea that like, say you and I in a Web3 uh, world, we, we wanted to agree on a contract, right? Like, you know, you will pay me when this thing happens, Right. So yes. in a Web3 world, we would come up and we could do something in Ethereum, write some smart contract or something and figure it out. And we would do all of that in the open on Ethereum. And then that would be completely decentralized, right? Everyone could see if we did it or not. Uh, we would not have any gatekeeper. We would not have any state, a nation state or legal entity involved. It would just be if, uh, you know, if on this date, this thing happens and it can be proved then the Ethereum contract, smart contract automatically deposits probably Bitcoin into your account and boom, it's done. Right. Now, so that now, would be the I, way that I, we would I, interact. I, I, I don't want to distract, but can I can I ask a footnote thing here, which is what what is what is Ethereum? <laughs> well, that's like a whole <laughs> that is and, 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 and another thing right mm -hmm. so so okay let, let let me let me summarize my 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 real question which is like so if i had an aircraft carry with missiles could i destroy ethereum no no it would it's because, it's because, because another, it, I, I would i would uh -huh. have to destroy all computers everywhere right yeah. like there, it, there's it no way to track down yeah it's right. the same kind of i would just say i mean a shorthand because you know i think a lot of other people listening to this would be better to explain it and there's lots of explanations but i would just say it's so a shorthand it's sort of a a different blockchain from bitcoin but it's it's if you will it allows you to build in smart logic right it's not just a currency but it lets you kind of build in a whole set of rules and some people re refer to it as like the world's largest computer so essentially you know you can basically create rules it can execute those rules and then kind of enforce them in this world of course it has lots of problems you know it's really slow um, it takes a really long time and there's lots so, of so the, the um, so, so like there's basically like a a definition uh, a standard of how things operate and then and then based on that an aircraft carrier can't take it out it's distributed across the globe right. on multiple computers like exactly. it has extreme redundancy right like there is no there's no single point of failure or there's not even like 500,000 points of failure right like there's so, like I'll give it's you two answers. Everywhere. Yeah, it's completely distributed. And I think that's the way it is. Now, <laughs> not to go down the Ethereum rat hole, but there have been various problems with Ethereum and the protocol, especially in the beginning. So what they ended up doing, uh, there was like basically a bug in it and people were stealing it, basically getting the money without having to, you know, through these back doors. So there have been times when the people that kind of own Ethereum like jump back in and did kind of change it, sort of like as a overall thing. But, and then there was a lot right. of controversy there's a whole lot of controversy around that. And that's like, there's just the, the entire books. And in fact, we'll recommend one in a second here uh, that I read on. So there's entire things about like, well, if you do it, then 
like even if it's right, even if you're correcting a wrong, is it still right? And so and then there's like, then that spawned off a whole set of other fighting, and then that spawned off even more changes to Ethereum. So so there's like I just want to acknowledge that like there's the what you said is the way that you probably should perceive it is like fully distributed. What happens, what happens, but then also note that there is still this infighting that's going on and there's still changes to the underlying protocol. That, frankly, I know a little bit about, but I'm not an expert. And 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 it, and so my last question on this, and we'll go back out of the footnote. So so is Ethereum like a commercial company? No. Based it somewhere? Is, it is a coin. It's just just another token, token. Okay, coin. so so Ethereum is more like it's even it's even like more loosey goosey than Wikipedia, right? Because Wikipedia has like a foundation. <laughs> That can ultimately well, like, there is a foundation know, control things. It. There is a foundation, but it, it is not. It is not. They don't own it, if you will. So it is okay, decentralized. Okay. okay. So it's it's more like it's more. Yeah, like we're gonna get idea. a lot of feedback on this episode. Go ahead. <laughs> I see. I see. So 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 Ethereum is more like a concept, like the web. Like there's a standard, but it doesn't even have like like a EU approved like standards body ruling it. It's just sort of like a collective of people who are like this is the way things should exist. And like, here's code that backs that up. And then everyone, like the state of Ethereum is stored across all these machines everywhere. So it's impossible to take out. And like, so it basically is kind of like, kind of like Wikipedia is like a reliable source of truth. It's more or less a reliable source of like this transaction occurred somewhere because it may take a while, but you can like prove that two people came together and said a thing happened verified by math or something yeah and i'll just i'll just say because uh because i'm sure we got some of the details wrong here i just want to recommend so i read this a while back it's uh the infinite machine and it's all about the beginnings of ethereum and kind of the whole history of it so if you're really interested in it in the details and and not so much the technique technical details but sort of like the people behind it and the foundation behind it and it's like all these startups are it's not a startup in this case but there's a whole like set of infighting and founders that get on it involved in that you should check it out because it goes into a ton of detail and uh it's maybe not um i don't know i thought it was an interesting story but it's if you really want the background just to understand this that's probably the best reason to read it all right so so there's a way to represent that a contract was formed between two people yes i think that's 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 that's, one of many things you can do on it right but think of it just as more like a program like it's you know you just write any kind of like program but but i think that's where i distracted us from the web (laughs) three thing is like imagine if you're establishing these contracts between people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then from that, we get to a, a decentralized web or something. Yeah. And that's the idea is that like all of, I mean, again, if you just sort of lump all of this web three into that, right. That's what we'd say is like things like Ethereum in the future, all of this stuff, right. We want it to be centralized. We want the individual to own it and we want to be able to do things and interact and enforce them outside of any gatekeeper. And that's what, you know, Bitcoin's doing that for money. Ethereum's trying to do that in a more generalized fashion. And then you're seeing, I mean, you know, just go to Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, Chris Dixon's blog, right? Or his uh, Twitter. You'll just see, I don't know, at this point, hundreds of different companies and ideas and coins all flooding the market, trying all kinds of things, right? Right, right. Okay, well, that's helpful because I think I think if I understand what, what we're talking about correctly, we essentially have established... I don't know what the word for it is, but some non-state uh, 
enforced some non-state endorsed way of declaring what the truth is yeah and you know we should like maybe the one we should talk about because it was you know we put in the show notes here was a group of people came together and they formed a a dao which dao which is basically essentially a you know a group of people agreeing to a set of constraints right with one goal their goal was to you know buy a copy of the constitution right so this is a good example so they came together they basically uh, I can't remember exactly what Dallas like just I'll look that up in a second, but essentially it's like a group of people saying like, we're going to do this, but they codify all the rules up front. Like, okay, uh-huh. if you're part of the Dow, this is what's going to happen. And their goal was to buy the constitution. They raised something like, I think it was like $40 million to actually mm-hmm. do it. Um, but then what happened was some other billionaire uh, bought it, you know, just straight up like a regular transaction bought it. So they missed out on it. So that's just an example of a group coming together, trying to do it. Now, what is interesting about that, though, is they're trying to get their money back. And so now you get into like the real nitty gritty of Ethereum, I guess, to like get their money back. You basically have to process a transaction and the minimum transaction fee to actually get it back is $50. So if you donated $200 and you wanted 50 back, you wanted your 200 right. back, which they want to give it to you, it'll cost you 50 to process it. So there's a lot of like people making fun of that, right? Like, see, Yay. it doesn't work. But that's just a good example of like, a group of people, even, I mean, there's so many things we have to like disqualify here. It's like, I don't know why they're trying to buy the constitution. <laughs> I've seen it in, you know, uh, like I, you know, you just go to Philadelphia and like, it's there. I've seen it. It's fine. Everything's good. But anyway, yeah. I don't know why they wanted it. I don't know why they, they exactly what the motivations were and all that, but putting that aside, it's just an example of like a group raised money with an explicit goal of trying to do this. And if they had done it, they would have this, this, constitution would have been owned if you will by this dow uh ethereum thing now i don't know what they would have done with it um but it, you know it could happen so you could probably like insert like a more realistic example i should say realistic because that was very real no you could that, probably that's come a up with a better, better scenario of like why you would do all that stuff but if you had some kind of thing that, that you wanted to do you could do it that way yes it's a perfect example no 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 <laughs> right. practical use case I don't know. I still don't understand it. I'm still totally confused about the motivation. I didn't understand what I got the mechanics of it. So, you know, I'm I mean, sure I mean, somebody. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess you could use that to make an analogy to VC investing, right? Like in the sense that the the mechanism of VC investing is that there is a there's probably a notary involved. Uh, there was a legal document signed and I know everything's more complex. It's basically like, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars and that's going to buy, I mean, I'm going to keep this simple. That's going to buy 10% of your company. And so therefore, if you com- the value of your company in the future becomes like a million dollars, as I said, I have a philosophy degree and a minor in English, so I can't do this math. But at some point, if your company is worth a million dollars, I will be able to cash out and make all of that profit. And then additionally, I'll have a board seat, which will allow me to give direction to the company. Now, I guess you could go to your Web3 solution and like codify that, right? That both parties had agreed to this and that therefore you have this arrangement, right? In the same way that like currently our current blockchain, so to speak, is like the legal system, right? Like you go to the legal system, like you write all these contracts and stuff. And if there's a dispute, you just go to a court and they're like, yeah, you did these contracts and it says this. And so you have to do that, right? And 
If you don't want to do that, we'll get these people with guns called police to come put you in jail, right? Like, and so, so like you have like enforcement mechanisms for this, but like with the constitution, the idea was that like, like all these people are going to come together and they declare and kind of like notarize through encryption or whatever, that these are their intentions and the way they're going to operate. And then uh, they also pool together this money. And therefore, if $40 million is the winning bid, then collectively they own this copy of the Constitution. And to your point, Brandon, I, I don't know what they do after that. They're going to have to fund like a climate-controlled box to put it in or right. something. Exactly. But and like, let me just go back and just to clean some of that. So the DAO, is, uh, the, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So the DAO, in this case, would have owned it. And then that DAO that, that would have decided, to your point, would have been responsible for you know deciding like what to do with it, to come up, to your point, like come up with a climate control case and then right. maybe like display it somewhere. And then that's would have done. And so again, like all of that could happen. And then you contrast that with uh, the billionaire who bought it, right? He'll just, he will just buy it and then he'll just, you know, I guess do whatever he wants with it all by himself. So, so right. Right. You know, right, it's, right. It is one of those things where it's like, I think conceptually we can all understand it, right? Like at least what's going sense. on. Maybe we can, but it's, it kind of comes back to, you know, you know, there are obviously simpler ways to do it, right? You could also just, uh, you know, sit down. I think most people would say like an LLC or an LL, uh, a limited liability partnership would be the normal way. Like if, if we were just doing yes. it or if we yeah, would just yeah, say, yeah. hey, everybody join this. We would write up our, our uh, um, what do they call it, our charter and our uh, articles in our company. That would be, that would be the, similar to like codifying it. And then we would just register it in Delaware probably. And then we would just at that point, Buy right, it and right, that thing right. would own it. So, I mean, that's always the thing that comes back to it. It's like the reason you don't want to do that, though, or at least the reason the Web3 is putting that is like, well, that's still reliant on the state, right? So this is a way to do it yes. completely outside of all of that. So so uh, uh, may, maybe to close it out, I mean, this is great because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this, this, uh, this idea that all this like crypto stuff is essentially creating an alternate legal universe, right? Like where, where like all these claims are made about like, I, and I, I don't know, is, is, is money based on like a legal construct, but like all these claims are made about like not only money that people own and money that's transferred, but also like the obligation of buying a constitution. And that's really like a legal framework, right? Like they're just mm-hmm. saying like this person says they will do this thing. And so they must do that thing or they will be punished, right? Right. If they don't do the thing. I mean, that's what a legal framework basically is, right? And so, like, what you're trying to do is codify people. You're trying to eliminate people's ability to say they did not say promise that they were going to do something, right? And, like, you have on record that they promised something happened or that they were going to do something, and so, therefore, they can't deny that that was the case, right? And and so, like that's the and and I don't know. You got some complicated math for it. And so, if you accept like that legal framework, that like if you said you were going to do something, then you must do it. Then you've got like this fantastic like computational driven legal framework to do stuff, which sounds fun. And then you can decentralize it, right? Because like. You're not reliant on one central authority, be it Facebook, state of Texas, or the Netherlands, to like say that something happened or like adjudicate to, to decide that this is the truth of the matter. 
you just go look at like the blockchain and it tells you like what occurred and then you can live your life according to that afterwards. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, I think to summarize, if you don't have guns, you can't set monetary policy. So let's let's move on to the next thing, which I think is uh, next week we have AWS reInvent coming up. Now, you know, I think every year we like to throw out some predictions here about about what's going to go on, and uh, I think I think amongst the three of us, I don't know if you agree with this, Matt Ray, but I think Brandon is the most enthusiastic about AWS predictions. So I'm going to start with him. <laughs> so what uh, what's what's going to happen next week, Brandon? Well, I think, you know, the biggest question is, uh, to me is, you know, obviously Andy Jassy, uh, to me, he retires as a legend first ballot hall of famer on the keynote, right? I, I don't think, well, I don't think we've seen anyone that quite give a keynote, at least around one company in uh cloud, um, like that before. And I, so my question, my first question is, does, uh, Adam decide to try to, um, replicate that or does he go his own style? So my prediction oh, is that is like, good. It's. I think it's impossible to to replicate. I think you shouldn't even try. Like if I was him, yeah, uh, I wouldn't. Even, I'd be like, hey, you just gotta, you gotta get away from it. So he's gonna my go prediction like is, Cook, right? <laughs> yeah, my prediction is. I think that's a good example. Like, uh, just much like when uh, Jobs re- uh, retired there from Apple, that Tim Cook brings in like lots of different leaders to give like parts of the keynote. That's my prediction is Adam sort of is more like a, a, a host, right? He's bringing in the, mm. oh, now let's hear about infrastructure. And now let's hear about AI. Let's hear about that. So to me, that's the biggest question. Because I do think um, if he does try to do the full Jassy Dell, I'm going to be amazed if he can. I mean, I talk about like having a high bar. If he can both do it and uh, do it in a way that's even remotely as good as Jassy, I will have nothing but respect from him. So that's, now, now, that's my number it- one thing. Give it. Give us just brief background. Uh, what's the background of this Adam guy? Where does he come from? What's his deal? Like, like what? Uh, how does? Can that yeah. So he like- worked at Amazon, I guess, about for Jassy for um, you know, for about I think it was like five or ten years. I should know what it is, but basically, he was the COO of ah, uh, AWS. But then he left and went over, and it's Adam. Slepsky is his full name. So he's he went off, became CEO of Tableau. Of course, we know Tableau. Uh, did really well and then took that public and then ultimately that got um, 
sold off to our friends at Salesforce. So then he was he returned. And I think that in itself was a surprise. I'm sure we talked about in the show was that, that they didn't hire someone inside. There was probably plenty of people that were wanted that job. And we know we've talked a couple of times that like lots of people, at least at the high level, I, I don't know if I should say lots, but there's definitely been much more leadership changes in AWS than I would have guessed, right? We saw um, people leave for Microsoft and people going to other things. So, so it's for sure. I mean, he's come in and not only, you know, brought in new people, but he's clearly bringing in, you know, I, I don't know if he's bringing in new ideas. That's my biggest question as I think about it is, is it running exactly the way it was before with just some people that he's brought in from the outside or are um, some of the outsiders trying to change things up? Because the other thing, something I care about for my day job is they're actually announced a new partner lead. So that's another thing. Like, so uh, the person that was kind of running partners for Jassy has now been, I don't know, I'm going to call it promoted, but he's left to go go work at Amazon, the retailer. So it kind of looks like he's going to go work under Jassy in some function. So, so I think that's a, the biggest thing is like, and my other prediction is like, will some of these new people not actually get speaking parts, right? Will we see somebody that was maybe new to AWS in the last year, other than uh, Adam, actually come out and give some speech? So I, th- I think that will be a big tell about like the direction of AWS. Um, as we kind of reviewed in the book, right? They have the whole thing about hiring from within and raising the bar and things like that. So you have to think anybody that came in from the outside and has some type of executive VP level has really been brought in with some, you know, heavy credentials and also to do something very specific. So that's the part I'm going to be really watching for. Like, who are these new people and do they break? Do they do anything different from the previous AWS keynotes that we've seen? Yeah, that's interesting. I I hadn't thought through that, but you're right. This is like, I mean, obviously, like there's a big, uh, there's a big transition at Amazon, like, like Amazon, the whole company and, and AWS, which we like, which is, uh, it it is a. Uh, it's always a good test to see what the second CEO does, right? To yeah. see if like, and and it, it and it's a, it's an interesting experiment in two ways. One, it like lets you. Uh, it gets more data on this idea that like, people matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> that individual people matter, right? Like the um, what do they call this in history? The great man theory of history, much right. much refuted. Uh, which, you know, says basically like there's a, uh, you know, a handful of people who like determine the course of history just by their sheer magnitude of awesomeness or whatever, rather than a gigantic complex system of chaos that comes together to like make things happen. And so, yeah, you've got like the CEO replaced, see how that happens. And then you've got the head of like a hugely successful business being replaced. And, uh, I, I, I guess we'll see what happens there. And and also like you highlight another thing that's interesting, which is like it is often annoying. Annoying's the wrong word. It's often like tedious to people see people like focus on executive shuffling, especially when it comes to like the head of channels or something. Like I always wonder like what's up with that. But it is like a vital part of a business, right? Because you scale up often by working with partners and having them sell stuff on your behalf. And co-selling with them, blah, 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 right? Like it's a huge source of revenue. And so that's why it's often important to pay attention to like to do the criminology as it were on like what executives have enough to pardon a technical expression juice to like show up on stage, right? And to like get a lot of the spotlight because it allows you to sort of predict and think about 
what the new priorities will be, what budgeting will be, who will win things, who will lose things. And therefore, to kind of predict from a buyer perspective, uh, what's the stability of products that I'm buying from people? Where are they going to allocate money to innovate versus things that are dead-end products? Where can I push people around? How do I have relationships with? So, yeah, that's that's a good analysis of, like, it's a pretty, like, from it's a pretty pivotal sort of like keynote series of keynotes to watch to kind of see like what the lay of the land is versus all the other options that yeah, you I have think out there. For sure. It's like changing of the guards, coming out party, whatever you want to talk about. Now there's the people, right? And then the other part that I think Cote, you know, let me see if I can get you interested. This is more like, I think the thing that we talk a lot about in this podcast on the messaging side is for the last two consecutive keynotes, Jassy has started out what I, I refer to as the, the Jassy IT modernization lecture. Last year, I can't remember what it was. It was like seven bullet points. And I think before it was five bullet points, but it was like, here's the five things great organizations need to do to modernize their environment. And then he kind of goes through them in great detail. And it's a little bit of like, kind of like your dad talking to you, maybe like, or like a professor, like, I'm a little disappointed. I have to say this again, that all of you, do not understand how important it is to modernize, but in a, in a nice way, in a very like polite but direct way. He's given that I, I speech. Really, to, I really wish you'd start using our satellites. Yeah, and it's a little bit like if you just kind of like pick it up, it's like, I don't understand why we're not making more money at AWS. If you people would just do what you're told and move your workloads over, right, we would be a lot growing even faster. But, so, but, but he, he, yeah, and then it, but it's, it's nice, like, but it's super polite. Help. It's very yeah. polite. Can we help you? Let me bring out our new channel partner to help you find the right. partner to, to get you across that line. Absolutely. That's- and I think, and listen, hey, I'm, I'm right there. I, I talk to people doing this all the time. So like, I get it. And it's, it's like, it's, it's, he believes it. I guess that's the, I'm convinced he just looks at it. Everyone is like, if you would only do this and he it's he's hundred percent like bought off on it. Mm. Right. And so that to me, I think this year that, Adam goes a different way. I think he sort of comes in and says, hey, it's a big world out there, not going to get to everything. And he's going to acknowledge the existence in a more direct way of hybrid clouds, right? I think he's going to make, I don't know if he'll acknowledge, I don't think he'll acknowledge GCP and Azure, but I think he'll he'll say something like multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, um, and there'll be a little bit more emphasis on outpost or whatever the big announcements are around, you know, kind of how they allow whatever the hybrid cloud story is. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think he will soften that and be more like, Hey, like more like a big brother. Hey, you know, we can't get to everything. Right. But let's just get what we can do. We can do today. Right. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. like, we're not going to try to get all of your stuff, but we, we should do more than we're doing today. Right. And I think it's going to be, and that to me is like the biggest question, like, does he soften the stance a little bit and does AWS sort of acknowledge that we're probably going to be with multi-cloud and hybrid cloud for a very long time? I mean, we've talked about this before. Nobody really breaks out the the hybrid on-premises number. So we don't know how big or important it is, but obviously they're paying attention to it. So the question really is like, will they give it more time, the same amount of time, less time? Uh, because I mean, to me, I'm I have low expectations. I'm expecting a very conservative, like externally conservative approach. It's gonna be it's gonna be like the handoff from Steve Jobs to Tim Cook, where people are gonna be like, "Well, that was boring." And then you look back and you're like, "Huh, Tim Cook's like quadrupled the value of the company, 
in 10 years or something like that. And you're like, I guess, I guess he was doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. I think, but, right. but I think not the show, good, you know, not the, yeah. I, I think, you know, kind of like run the same offense. Like, Hey, it's not broke. If it's not broken, don't fix it kind of thing. But I will say, I feel like we've seen a couple articles recently, um, just a little bit of cracks inside. Cause I even saw something the other day. I think it's in the show notes, like sort of like a hey, questioning Jassy's strategy. It was like, Hey, J-, and the overall strategy was, you know, you can only get so big with like the infrastructure, compute, networking, and storage. And that, that Amazon is missing out on the more business applications. So that was the other, like, I'm not going to predict this, but I think if we see any focus more on talking about like business applications, like more, you know, something that's sort of like ready to use, not just for the builders, but something like here's an application we think you should use. I think that will be kind of a, an indication of a shift. And I, and I think that would come at the expense of like AI has gotten huge sections of this keynote, you know, yeah. last couple of years to the point, like, even, I mean, I try to watch uh, the keynote, yeah, and pay attention, I, but it's like, I mean, it is like, I am zoned out in that part. So we, I think we, he's going to ratchet that down. That. We've already seen that with, with Azure and GCP, like they toned down that part and started talking more about like, you know, meeting the businesses. I mean, I, obviously GCP needs to put on like, you know, they're, they're trying to come across as more business friendly. Um, and I think, you know, AWS, AWS probably knows more about their customer base than everybody, you know, more about the space than anybody because they're bigger. But they know like what they know what to emphasize, and I I, I bet they're going to tone down the AI stuff. They're going to tone down the the you know the the esoteric things, and they're just going to be like business value. Here we're going to drive that business value, and they're going to be more onboarding programs, migration programs, on premises stuff. But at the end of the day, that's kind of boring, you know. Mm. But that's our bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what they in 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 what you're saying, Matt Ray, what what that focus would be would basically be uh, customer retention and expansion. Yeah, keeping your customers paying their same bills, using their same services, and then buying more stuff, right? Like buying more with you, and then like to some extent finding the. Um, finding buyers who haven't already purchased from you to buy the new things right well, so people who've got hesitation because right, right, right. Know, like 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 the example service now for them or for example, right the, or, like like the analogy i was thinking of is like um you know in that movie the aviator like um uh what's the guy the guy who uh uh he was um howard hughes, hughes. you got howard hughes but his enemy who's played by what's his face alec baldwin who's like Juan something or another, the CEO of Pan Am. So like in the airline business, the way you make more money is to like go into new markets, right? Like you don't necessarily like innovate a new thing. You're still just flying people around, but like you get new markets that you go into. So like, that's the thing of like, for, for like a public cloud provider, we have all these reluctant people who haven't moved to public cloud. So we just got to go out to them and be like, Hey, everything's cool. You should just move your workloads to public cloud and be hybrid and multi-cloud. So like this whole public cloud or die thing, sorry about that. You're fine. You're still alive. You should just use our services, right? So like, like you're just taking what you, you currently have and like selling to the laggards of the mainstream or whatever, right? More on ramps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then maybe the minor thing that you have is just like wackadoodle, crazy new things like AI, that like are really interesting and new and by percentage high growth 
right? Like growth from zero is fantastic. Any growth you have from nothing is always great, right? And so like you have those kind of things that early on you use as like your high growth sort of like thing that you're paying attention to. But eventually you reach this point where like you're not really like always coming up with a bunch of new things. You're just like addressing all the people who just like want to run applications and they want something that to use a Kubernetes community term is boring, right? And and is normal. So at that point, you sort of like tone down uh, all of your like everything is awesome. Here's a bunch of like, here's 500 brand new things talk. And you're just sort of like, hey, what can I do to get you into a new house? Right? Like, I don't have a revolutionary new house. It's just a house. Like, how can I help you move to this house here? Right. And that's when you sort of like, plateau is a bad word in this, but like, that's where you really like kind of scale up your growth essentially, because you're just pulling in all these other people, which kind of makes for like a much more concise, even sort of boring set of like portfolio that you have. But it's sort of just how you like, uh, I don't know, just start having a normal business instead yep. of it being some, some like, crazy thing that you have to keep up with and then we look back and you know it's a 10 trillion dollar company or whatever exactly that's how you scale things up which is like like it 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 also informs this idea of like the founder at a uh, tech company right like a founder is really valuable for getting up to that plateauing point right but then at some point as long as you don't hire the pepsi guy like at some point you sort of just like have to go out and like do all the work of getting money from every company out there. Right. Which, and, and not really like amazing them with some like fantastic weird technology. You've just got to kind of extract that cash out there or just get everyone to buy like an iPhone or whatever. Right. And that's the, uh, the exciting, boring work of like becoming a, a trillion dollar company. It seems like maybe, I don't know. Well, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy this week? We do. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of things going on. First, I wanted to uh, recommend a book recommendation from uh, the, the chat here today. So Brian recommends Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. So says it's really good. He's really enjoyed it. So everyone should check it out. I'll make sure links in the, here in the show notes. And also we have uh, one of our uh, uh, people in the Slack posted job set, uh, InfraCloud, that's hiring uh, customer success engineers. So if you're looking for a new job, go check out uh, the jobs channel in Slack and, you know, maybe InfraCloud is the place you want to work. So check all that stuff out. And of course, still sending stickers out. All you got to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Well, there's a, there's a couple of conferences we want to highlight. One, we uh, will be, you know, assuming there's nothing crazy with the, uh, the virus happening between now and then. Uh, Brandon and I will be at the that conference in uh, Texas, Round Rock, you know, Austin, basically, uh, which is going to be January 17th to 20th. I think our session is on the 20th, Brandon. Is that right? It's I on forget. Thursday, yep. Mm-hmm. Or 19th or something. But we're going to do a live recording there, which will be fun. So you can check that out. And uh, I'm going to be giving a talk there as well. Like, I, I think it will be a talk that I haven't given publicly yet. I gave internally to, to uh, some people off in Singapore but uh or was it germans i forget anyways it'll be a talk that uh, a brand new talk that i'm giving there as well but you should check that out it looks like a, a a really good conference all sorts of things going on my coworker layla will be there as well there's also uh devops day chicago the 2022 
2022. That's next year. The uh, call for speakers is is uh, open right now. Maybe I should apply to that. I think KLM flies to Chicago. That'd be fun. And then also another DevOps days is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I don't know if I've ever been there before, uh, but that's also open to uh, apply to. You should and check that one, out. Uh, that one's been started by one of our uh, super fans here, Michael, often in the Software Defined Talks Slack. So I think I think it's the first time they're going to do it. So everyone should submit uh, papers to Birmingham. Make sure to get the DevOps community. Maybe they they can say like, Roll Tide or something like that, or you know, War Eagle. I don't know. I don't know which. Uh, I guess Birmingham's kind of halfway in between. I don't know which uh, college they'll be aligning with, but uh, check out Birmingham. Yep, University Alabama, Alabama, Birmingham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, UAB. UAB maybe. That's right. That don't leave them out. Are they Eagles, dragons. I think so. I think that's right. Some sort of animal doing stuff. <laughs> I think they call it a mascot. Anyways, if you want to uh, get links to those, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 331, you can find them. But you should definitely check those out and uh, come come take a look at them. So with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Uh, Well, one, I'll go back and just uh, recommend the Infinite Machine if you want to learn about Ethereum and all all the correct things that happen. So check that out. And then uh, on the podcasting, as Kote likes to talk about, uh, you know, once you get into audio, all you do is spend money. So I've recently spent too much money on a new mic arm, but I like it. I'm using it right now. It's right in front of me. It actually comes out from underneath the monitors, which I don't know. Uh-huh. It just makes my life so much easier. So it's the the Wave Mic Arm LP from Elgato. So I like it. Uh, hopefully I sound better. If I don't sound better, at least I'm more comfortable. So, and it's honestly, it's, 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 it's expensive. Don't buy it. I almost feel like it's, it's worth it to me, but <laughs> I, I spent $99 on it. And I just felt like it's two pieces of steel, but it brought me a lot of joy. I have to admit, like, I don't know, maybe I'm becoming a consumerist, but I was like, I, I really like it. So, so I don't know. You decide for yourself whether or not you've earned a new mic arm for your Christmas present. That I, I'm, I'm going to check that out because I got the the like blue. I mean, it's not a Yeti, but like the blue mic arm that comes down from the top, mm-hmm. and it, it's just like total blue sh- blue shit. It's just total bullshit. Like it doesn't like unless you have like a microphone that weighs basically like the same weight as like a one and a half year old. Like it just stays up the whole time, and I've like <laughs> a, I've I've adjusted all the things and stuff, and then also when, if it comes down from the top, like no one will be able to see this on the podcast, but like it comes down from the top, it's like right here, exactly. And it's then you're right doing a video, face. yeah. Well, and, check and this like, one out, Kote. After many, many, many attempts to buy something less expensive, this is the one I bought. And all I, right, I, it's like as uh, so much uh, Pennywise Poundfish. I I probably should have just got this at the beginning. And I that's, didn't. So. That's what I did. I, I started with, I got the, the Samsung mic and I got the Samsung arm for the mic. And yes, it was more expensive, but uh, works like a champ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, it just goes to show you what I've always thought, which is spending money results in happiness. I think that's... <laughs> Keep that economy moving. <laughs> that's right. How about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Well, you know, this week it's uh, Thanksgiving in the United States. And so uh, we were talking about, you know, having a a little meal here in uh, Australia uh, to celebrate the fact and mentioned it to uh, uh, some of my my in-laws and asked, were you going to have any corn pudding? And we're like, "Uh, I don't know, uh, maybe. Mm. And they started singing about corn pudding. And so. Wait, hold hold on. Hold on. (laughs) So you are talking with them. 
this yes. is this, this is like this is like a Charles Lowell story, right? Yes. Who's, who's, I think I think a third of his family's communication is in song form. So yes. you're talking to your family, and and they immediately start singing about is, corn it, pudding. Okay, and so uh, there's a, a show on Apple uh, called uh, Schmigadoon, and I have not huh. watched the show, but uh, I've linked the video for the corn pudding song. You'll be singing it too. And thinking about the need for more corn pudding in your Thanksgiving meal. Huh. Okay. <laughs> My gift to you, corn pudding. Huh. Okay. 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 Well, that's good. I'm going to go check that out. So similar to videos, my recommendation is, uh, you know, this is no big revelation to anyone, according to all the subscribers that this person has to their YouTube channel and their fame. But for some reason... Well, I know the reason. So I started, I, I heard a, a good recommendation for a beef and broccoli stir fry recipe. And so I went and looked it up and I made it and it was great. Right? It was good stuff. And it was done by one of the, the uh, that serious eats person. Uh, what's his name? Kenji Lopez Alt, which I would love the Wikipedia page to go over how he has such a complicated name, but that's fine. But he's got a great YouTube channel that has like many, many videos of him just like cooking stuff. But, one, it's very relaxing because he's a very relaxing person to talk to. He's one of these people who's just like, you know, just whatever you like, just do this. It's, he's like the Bob Ross of cooking, right? He's the opposite of a previous recommendation, which is that uh, that Nat guy who's the Australian cook who basically is always oh, yeah. just like – he's basically like – Go fuck yourself is kind of his tone, right? Now, if you could imagine what the opposite of that is with equally tasty food, that's what this Kinji guy is like. And so as an example, I'm pretty sure he never wears shoes. So he straps like a GoPro camera to his head and he has some like around his kitchen and he does some editing, but you'll notice that he doesn't wear shoes. So he's just like, he'll just wake up and be like, I'm going to cook this thing. Obviously, it's more planned than that, but, like, it has this nice casual thing. And then the ultimate thing that makes him, like, a very calming, fun person to look to is, like, this one moment. I think – I forget which recipe it is, but he cooks one recipe, and he always feeds his dogs. He's got these two dogs. He's got, like, some old little dog, and he's got also this old, like – is a Sharpay the one – The wrinkly one? With the wrinkly face? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because a Chow is the one that's, like, a little lion. So he's got this this Sharpay – and I guess the Sharpay can't, like, jump up or catch food. So Kenji here is eating whatever recipe it is, and he takes his fork that he's been eating with. He, like, drops some food for the little dog, and then he takes the fork and puts some food on it, and he puts it in the mouth of the Sharpay to eat. And then he just keeps on talking, and then he keeps on eating with the same fork. And I, at, at that moment, I was like, this is one of my favorite per- people who has ever existed. He's so casual, and, like, he's just feeding the dog Eating after he doesn't care. He's like Kristoff uh, in in Frozen, who's just like gives the reindeer some carrots and just keeps eating them too. Like it, it, it was great. So I actually I found myself on a dog walk when I wanted to like calm down. Like I had my phone in my pocket and I was just listening to the Kinji cooking show. It was just like some kind of ASMR ish type of uh, calm thing to <laughs> listen to. So, anyways, also like he only cooks totally unhealthy food that looks very delicious to eat so uh you should check those out make some of the recipes they're very good so on that note before or maybe while you're making those recipes you can go listen to all the archives of our shows if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com you can scroll through them you can join our slack group 
get involved in the conversations that we have, recommend things to talk about, all sorts of fun stuff going on there. And if you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 331. You can read about what exactly a blockchain is, get a good mic arm that doesn't block your face from a lovely streaming thing, figure out uh, how to sing about corn pudding, and uh, also have something to listen to when you're walking the dog. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Open the door. Dog ate super poop. I'll be right back. Did you clean it up? Yeah. Did, did you take it from him? Yeah, I got it from him. Did he actually pierce it? Yeah. <laughs>